back there and I'm confident that that one has been filled. Um, the first service is about usually a hundred people smaller than y'all. Now y'all come and serve the first hour. Uh, it's not so pretty for y'all. These are the remaining slots that must be filled by next Sunday. The red classes have no teachers and will be canceled. Okay? This means you need to step up and serve the body of Christ in immediate fashion. You can contact the office or Stephanie Jackson if you're interested and available to fill any of these children's slots. Okay? We believe that it blesses our kids to be mentored by other adults in the church outside of their family. Be that blessing for our kids. Okay? If this is your service go-round, we need you to step up. Email Stephanie today. Uh, if the sermon gets slow, you can do it during the sermon if you have those skills. Okay? I give you sanction. All right? Other than that, put that thing away and uh, get your Bible out. All right. Um, please do tend to that. I'll, I'm, I'm counting on you and so are our kids. Uh, there's a saying. Uh, it, it has its roots in the South. I think you've probably heard it. It goes like this. Dance with the one that brung you. You ever heard that? Ever heard that saying? It was popularized in Texas football. There was a coach renowned for the saying. What he meant by it was, if if the wishbone offense got you to the bowl game, don't change at the bowl game. Dance with the one that brung you. Okay? It's about wisdom. But if you take it more literally, um, dance with the boy that brought you to the dance. Don't, if I can mix metaphors, change horses in the middle of the stream. Um, that's about faithfulness. It's about fidelity. Um, and so uh, I, what I'd like to do is take that little saying, that little bit of homespun wisdom, and drop it into a story for you, a parable of sorts. And uh, ladies, since there has been more basketball broadcast in your home than you thought humanly possible in recent weeks, I have decided to slant this story towards you, okay? So, you're in a small town, and in that small town, they're having a ball. A dance. And this is one of those dances where everyone wears their Sunday best and they drink their punch with their little pinky sticking out. Real fancy. Okay? And you would love to go, but you don't have a dress. You don't have a ride. Or, or enough money for all of the things that you need to go to a dance these days. The hair salon, the tanning salon, the tattoo parlor. All of which seem to be dance essentials these days, as near as I can tell. Um, truth be told, you don't even have the money for the ticket to get in. But then he comes along, riding in a big white 4x4 pickup with a lift kit. Okay, it's a, it's a redneck story. Right? Um, and he takes an interest in you. He courts you. You begin to fall in love. He, he asks you to the ball. And of course, you are ecstatic. And not only does he ask you to go to the ball, he is picking up the tab for the dress, for the dinner, for the flowers, for the tickets, for the tan, even for the tattoo. 
And when that day comes, he picks you up in a limo with a chauffeur. And he takes you to the ball. And it is everything that you hoped it would be and more. People keep coming up to you and complimenting you. How wonderful you look. And it's, it's, it's too good to be true. You keep pinching yourself. But they keep praising you and complimenting you. And then, unbelievably, there's a vote that's held, a little competition, and you are voted the bell of the ball. Okay? You are the bell of the ball. It's unbelievable. Until you walk past a mirror and you see yourself. And when you see yourself, you understand why they voted you the bell of the ball. You're fabulous. I mean, knock, knock them dead, drop dead, fabulous. Of course they voted you to be the bell of the ball. Um, in fact, they're lucky to have you come to their shoddy little ball at all, the way you look. Um, and just then, the handsomest guy at the ball, not just any handsome guy, the handsomest guy at the ball, he was voted king of the ball, or whatever the male compliment to bell of the ball is. They voted him that. And he comes up to you and asks you to dance. And so you dance with him. Not just one dance, not just two dances, but he becomes your dance partner throughout the rest of the evening. And somehow, in the midst of it all, you have forgotten to dance with the one that brung you. And you really never even think about it until you go to go home and you walk out in the parking lot and the limo is gone. And you realize you're going to have to find some other way home. You say, Larry, where did you get that story? I get that story out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you'll open up your Bibles, it's the RSV, the Redneck Standard Version. If you'll open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, we find ourselves uh, with God's people invited to the promised land by none other than God himself. And they are on the verge of entering that promised land and Moses is preparing them with how they are to conduct themselves in this land, how they live the life of their dreams in the place of their dreams. And we find um, in the first verse of Deuteronomy 8, a theme that is very familiar, very familiar to us. The whole commandment that I command you, Moses says, this day you shall be careful to do, so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. For the umpteenth time already in Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, look, obedience is the deal in the land. If you want to live the life God has for you, obey him. Okay. And of course, it's not one of those commands that's just for, for times gone by. It is for God's people in every situation, in every setting, including our own. We need to be really careful to do all that God asks of us. That's how we show our love for him. That's how we live in the place where he most happily blesses us is by our obedience. So our annual focus this year at North Wake is on growing in our obedience to God. 
We want to be, at the end of this year, a more obedient people than we were at the beginning. That's why across the bottom of every one of these slides up here, you see that little slogan, loving obedience to a loving God. That's, that's what we're about this year. So let me ask you, how is your obedience? How is your obedience to God? You struggling at points? You ever wonder why it's so hard to obey God? There, there are a lot of factors, but in our passage today, Moses is going to say that central to a life of obedience is that you must remember not to forget the one that brung you. Okay. And you see it in the very next few verses, in verse 2. Um, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your food did not swell, your foot did not swell these 40 years. So as the people of Israel stand at the door of the ball that is the promised land, Moses urges them to look back and remember the one who brought them there. Through 40 hard years in the wilderness, God has brought them to the doorway of the land and the life of their dreams. And, and it's, a hard, it's been a hard 40 years, okay? It was a journey that was supposed to last a little less than two weeks. Because of their disobedience and their waywardness, it took 40 years. Uh, 40 years of journeying, journeying through terrain that looks something like that. And all, all of their parents died in that land, save two. It was a time of hardship, to be sure, but Moses is reminding them, God was with you every step of that journey. He was at work in you all along the way. He says, remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember how he has led you. Remember that he did these, he allowed these things to happen to humble you and to test you, to see if you would obey him. And they often would fail. The test was to prove and draw out their obedience, not so much to inform God of things that he did not know. He knows our hearts. He knows them fully. They were to remember how he led them. They were to remember how he let them hunger. He let them get to the end of their own resources. And he let them then provide for them. He provided for them fully in amazing ways in this time of hardship. They would learn as a result of that that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God wields hardship in our lives for our good where we get to the end of ourselves and we turn towards him we learn that we need even more than bread to eat we need the words of God to live by it's interesting 
when Satan tempted Jesus, you remember that story, took Jesus out in the desert? Not for 40 years, but for 40 days. He tempted him while Jesus fasted. It's in Matthew 4. And it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. One of the great understatements of the Bible. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. And he quotes Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus understood and modeled for us that more than we even need bread after a 40-day fast, we need the words of God to live by. That's life for us. So in the desert wilderness, God was humbling his people. He was leading them. He was teaching them how, much, how desperately they needed to obey his every, every command, even more than needed bread itself. In verse 5, um, he continues and says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing them. It's interesting. He says God was disciplining them like a father disciplines his son. He, he argues from the father back to God. He says God disciplines like a father disciplines. And just as an aside, it's not Moses' main point, but it's so important for us How we see and how our kids see their earthly fathers discipline them is intended to teach them about God. Parents, dads in particular, how important is it then that we discipline our children and we get it right? See, if you don't discipline at all, or if you do it badly, in anger or frustration or rashly or unjustly or inconsistently, then God is twisted up in the eyes of your little ones. And he becomes less than what he is. That's their heavenly father who disciplines them in love for their good. To fear this one who lovingly disciplines us fuels our obedience, Moses says. And so he says, remember all this. Reflect on the hard times and how God was with you. And he brings that up for his people here precisely because they're about to walk into prosperity and blessing by God beyond their wildest dreams. He talks about it in the next verses. He says, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. Remember, they just came out of the desert, right? A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. 
and you shall eat and be full, that is, be satisfied, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. They're about to walk into a land where they will not lack one thing. Their every need will be met in abundance. They will eat and they'll be satisfied. And he says the right response to all of this in verse 10, to this grace that's been lavished on them will be to bless the Lord their God for the good land that he has given them. They should prompt, thank him profoundly and often for his amazing grace and his provision for them. This is what they ought to do. But Moses is afraid that instead of that, they will forget him. They will forget the one who brung them. He says in verse 11, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. You be proud and you forget the Lord your God. Moses says to disobey God is to have forgotten God. And it's, it's curious that it's the very blessing of God on their lives that ends up wooing them away from God. The creation is distracting them from the creator. And in the same way, when we look in the mirror and we get all enamored with ourselves, then we become proud and we forget that it's God who has brought us. We would never even have darkened the door to this ball if God had not brought us there by his kindness and power. And see, that's what pride does. Pride mixed with prosperity from God's hand makes us forget God. It makes us stupidly forgetful. Tim Keller, it's interesting, he writes in one of his books, he, he offers a, kind of a description of what Jesus meant when Jesus says we need to be poor in spirit, that is, we need to be humble. He said to be poor in spirit means that you are deeply in debt before God and you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to him was the only thing that saved you. A lot of people, though, resist Jesus' teaching about this kind of radical spiritual poverty and humility. And Keller puts it this way. He says, on the contrary, you believe that God owes you some things. He ought to answer your prayers and bless you for the many good things you've done. Even though the Bible doesn't use the term, he says, by inference, we can say that you are middle class in spirit. You, you feel that you've earned a certain standing with God through your hard work, he says. You, you also may believe that the success and the resources you have are primarily due, primarily due to your own industry and energy. And it's precisely those of us who are middle class in spirit that are so vulnerable to this kind of covert forgetfulness about God where the credit slowly shifts from God to us in the balance. 
where we think we deserve to be there, that God owes us, maybe not everything, but certainly something for all that we've done. And when, when those things do come to us, we are sorely tempted to think we deserve some, if not most, of the credit for those things. Pride readily makes us supremely overconfident. There's a New York Times columnist, his name is David Brooks, and he wrote a column in which he said that we as Americans are an overconfident species. He calls it a magnification of the self, and he believes that this glut of self-esteem is especially rampant in the United States. And to back up these claims, he cites an army of statistics and studies and observations. He says, when pollsters ask people from around the world to rate themselves on different traits, Americans usually supply the most positive self-ratings. And some of you right now are thinking, of course, okay? This is for you, right? Listen, listen close. <laughs> Although American students do not perform well on global math tests, they are among the world leaders in having self-confidence about their math abilities. 94% of college professors believe they have above-average teaching skills. Okay, 94%. 70% of high school students surveyed claim they have above-average leadership skills, and only 2% are below average. The number of high school seniors who believed that they, they were a very important person in the 1950s, 12%. In the 1990s, 80%. Um, according to Brooks, he says American men are especially susceptible to the perils of overconfidence. Men unintentionally drown twice as often as women because they have great faith in their swimming ability especially after drinking, he says. <laughs> Here's the thing. Prosperity from the hand of God mixed with our pride causes us to forget God. We forget God. It can lead us to forget the one who brung us to this privileged place that we live. So how are you doing these days? These good times for you? There are harder times for a lot of people. I want to talk to those of you who are doing well. You're at the top of your game. You don't just have a job, you have a good job. Other people are worried about layoffs. You got the promotion. Lots of other people trying to stay out of foreclosure. You're buying up. It's a good time to buy up. Other people's kids... ISS, your kids, honor roll. Okay. They're gaining 10 pounds, you're losing 15. I'm talking to you, okay? To some extent that that marks you, I'm talking to you. I wonder, if that's you, if it, if it looks like to you, to some degree you're living a charmed life right now, is your day, is each day punctuated by repeatedly pausing and blessing God for the good life that he has given you. You know, it's interesting. My grandmother 
was part of a denomination up in the Midwest. We called it the AC Church. It was the Apostolic Christian Church. It's kind of an extraordinary little um, sect or denomination, and they have a lot of peculiarities to them. One of them is really uh, beautiful. One of them, the men sit on one side of the church, women on the other, and ne'er the twain shall meet. That was one of the things they did. But one that was interesting to me that I had not observed until I went to my grandmother's funeral. We were sitting around a, a round table. There's about eight of us. And all the others at the table uh, were still involved actively with the Apostolic Christian Church. And we said grace. We ate our meal. And I'm looking around ready to start a conversation after the meal. And everyone, every single person around that table except me, has pushed their chair back and they're bowed low in prayer. And I thought, well, this is interesting. See, they say grace not only before the meal, they give thanks after it. And it's rooted in verse 10 of our passage, where it says, you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God. And that's what they do. Do you do that? I'm talking just at the dinner table, as interesting as that might be. Do you push back from your work and pause and bless God for the way he has blessed you? Do you push back at school and pause and thank God for the way he has blessed you? Do you push back at home when things are good and bless the God who has so blessed you? When you go to the bank and it's a good thing, do you push back and bless God who has so richly, undeservedly blessed you? Do you do that? You remember the saying, I say it all the time, a day without prayer is a boast against God because in your pride, you have forgotten him. And you can go through the better part of a day and his favor never crosses your mind. You never push back and give thanks. Honestly, most of us spend our days complaining. When you are doing well, Moses says, beware, because your pride mixed with the prosperity of God may cause you to forget him, the one who brought you to this place. Moses says, when you are doing well, your heart may be lifted up. You may become proud, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good to you in the end. Moses says, don't forget the God who rescued you, who led you, who provided for you, even in the hardest of times, who humbled you and tested you. All of this, I love the way it's, it's said here, to do good to you in the end. All of that hardship for them, 40 years of suffering in that desert. Moses says, all for your good in the end. Some of you have suffered a long time all your hardship in this season of suffering that you still may be in, all, God says, for your good in the end. 
to humble you and to test you. Moses says, beware, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Moses warns us strongly, beware, take great care, remember, don't forget that it's God is the one who has blessed you. He is the one who has brung you to this place. He has given you the power to make wealth, all the successes that you have. Hosea capsulizes what we're talking about today in one of the most penetrating um, x-ray kind of statements in all of the Old Testament, I think. Hosea 13, God is speaking, and he says, I cared for you in the desert, in the land of burning heat, and when I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. Have you forgotten the one who has brought you to where you are. Now, understand that this is a future warning for God's people. They were on the edge of something amazing. And it's a future warning for many of you. God is going to bless many of you tremendously in the future. The question is, will you remember then when your day comes and you're the sought-after speaker, you're the MVP, you're the salesman of the year, you're the bell of the ball. Will you remember that it's all by His grace? Will you push back, push back and pause and bless the Lord for the good that He has done to you? See, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't dance with the one that brung you, then you need to know that, that he will not suffer that offense from you. Um, there will be consequences, and Moses closes out our passage with those. Uh, he says, if you forget the Lord your God, go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey, you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Forgetting God fuels our pride and makes our hearts vulnerable to lesser lovers, to idols in our hearts. Beware. Be very careful to remember the God who has rescued you and who has led you and who has blessed you. It's not very often, in fact, I have never gotten to close a sermon by quoting a country western song. Today I would like, I'd like to do that. It goes, it goes like this. You got to dance with the one that brought you. Stay with the one that wants you. The one who's going to love you when all the others go home. Don't let the green grass fool you. Don't let the moon get to you. Dance with the one that brought you, and you can't go wrong. 
Let's pray. God, what can we say in response to your word except that we are so sorry? We have been such fools. We thought it was us when it was you. We have chased after other gods hoping in them when we needed you. Forgive us, God, for running our days and you don't even cross our minds. We repent of this foolishness. We want to remember you. We want to push back from the table and bless you. We want to never forget how you have humbled us and brought us to the end of ourselves in the hard times and then met our need and walked with us through it. God, we bless you. Help us. Help us now as we remember the depth of your love for us in your great sacrifice of your beloved son, even for us. We gladly remember. And we ask this in his name. Amen.